The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Champions League, midweek action featuring Chelsea, Man United and more. The games in the Premier League as well. Defeat a turf more for Spurs and what it means for Burnley. We'll look ahead to the League Cup final, Liverpool against Chelsea and get fresh drama from the Inter-Totally Cup. It's all coming up in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Good morning, listener. Yeah, there, there we were cheering them on and, and delighting with them only a few months ago at the Euros and, and thoughts with them now as they face really these darkest of days. It's February 24th, Totally Football Show. And with us today, we've got Duncan Alexander of Opta. Hello, Duncan. Hello, James. Carl Anker of The Athletic. Hello, Carl. Hello there. I'm Rory Smith of The New York Times. Uh, Rory, difficult times to be writing about football. Yeah, it doesn't really seem to matter particularly. I've been I've been away for a, for a month, having had a, a little girl, and the first thing I've got to write is um, is a column on how football finds itself kind of front and centre in these moments where it really doesn't matter at all, and whether you know whether that's talking about moving the final, the Champions League final from St Petersburg, the fact that Gazprom, which is a a, a company that is is seen in a lot of cases as a kind of soft power arm of the Russian state, whether it's it's Chelsea and Everton, both of whom have have oligarchs who've been named in Parliament as backers uh, in one, one shape or form, um, oligarchs who could face sanctions if if that's what the British government decides to do. And I think it's difficult because I, I was struck earlier in the week by, by the sort of hoo-ha over what UEFA would do, and it seemed at one point there was more pressure on UEFA than there was on, like, NATO or the UN. And in one sense, that's really unfair because UEFA obviously is just an organisation that organises football matches. It really isn't like a major diplomatic power. But in the other, I think it's, it is part of this thing that we talk about a lot, which is football's pursuit of money and influence and power has led it down a path where it is, it is susceptible and vulnerable to these sorts of situations. So these, th- this thing that's happened in the overnight in Ukraine does have, weirdly, it's not the most important kind of aspect of it, and it's in a way it feels glib to talk about it, but it does have an impact on football, and that is football's fault for not safeguarding itself from outside influences enough. And I think at times like these, these it, is, it, is, it is worth just pausing briefly and, and thinking about the position football's put itself in by opening its doors to whoever has enough money to buy it. Mm. Right, no, very, very good point. Congratulations, uh, by the way. Uh, on your, your the addition to your your family, well, it, desperate times for the people of Ukraine, and um, our best wishes that things uh, get resolved as as quickly as they can be. The football, then, uh, three Premier League games midweek uh, with big wins for Liverpool, Palace, and Burnley. Four Champions League ties. Are Chelsea the only winners in these, beating Lille two nil. Everybody else drew. Villarreal one one with Juventus. Villarreal coming from behind after Dusan Vlahovic scored a whole 33 seconds into that game. Uh, Benfica holding Ajax 2-2 with Sebastian Allaire scoring at both ends and Man United in that 1-1 draw at Atletico Madrid, which, of course, is where we're going to begin. 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Fred with a nice ball into Bruno Fernandes. Elanga was on the run. Elanga might be in. Chance for Manchester United. Oh, he's Daniel Sturridge calls this their worst performance, Man United, under Ralph Ranić, but also one of their best results. Uh, is that right? And does, does the result excuse how bad they were for, what, an hour or so? I'm guessing Carl's got something to say here. Carl? Uh, that goal butters a number of parsnips, I'd say. It was a terrible, terrible first half. For Manchester United, uh, they were manhandled, outclassed. They seemed almost shocked and offended by the concept that Atletico Madrid would dare to press them. Uh, so Ralph Ragnick went for Victor Lindelof at right back and tried United to to, to progress the ball in a, in a sort of three one six formation with Fred as the single pivot and Pogba and Bruno Fernandes with bomb on. Uh, and Atletico Madrid were essentially content to let. The, the three-man defence of Rafael Varane, Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof have the ball. But any time the ball went wide or, or, or progressed a little bit further than Fred, any time there was a cross-field ball from Harry Maguire, they pressed with, I, I wouldn't even say huge amounts of aggression. You know, just what you'd expect from, from a top team that has won a La Liga title or, or a team that is hoping to win top titles. Uh, and Manchester United completely were discombobulated by this. Uh, Yao Felix and, and Carrera were frequently dropping to space next to Fred um, anytime the ball was trying to be progressed and, and Fred was essentially swamped he was just shocked by the fact that neither Paul Pogba or Bruno Fernandes was uh, holding back and trying to help him out there was one moment early well I'd say halfway through the first half where Fred uh, looked at Harry Maguire in possession and basically said H on the ground on the ground mm. just played the short five yard pass to where Maguire panicked uh, played uh, a direct pass very much into a pressing trap from Atletico Madrid. United had, I think I've been on this podcast before and, and lamented uh, the lack of a proper defensive midfielder. I also now want to lament the fact they don't really have uh, a serious someone to tell everyone to just calm the F down and mm. play some five-yard passes. And calm, what, um, what, so, so that was United getting discombobulated. What combobulated them back again? Um, substitutions. Strangely enough, uh, I, I believe Rafang said uh, after the game that his halftime team talk was essentially, remember your processes. You've completely thrown all your processes out the window. Um, uh, and while his initial you know, batch of substitutions, Nemanja Matic, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, Alex Telles looked um, defensive in terms of personnel, what it, what it actually created was was more of a sustained presence in central midfield. So this sort of U-shape in build-up that United played where they seeded the space in central midfield stopped as Nemanja Matic formed a more solid defensive platform with Fred, uh, which enabled Bruno Fernandes to, to be a little bit more secure and played a mm. pass to Anthony Elanga. Elanga. All right. So now that I'm having to learn his song, who am I singing about exactly? You are singing about the 19-year-old Swedish international Anthony Elanga, uh, who was born 10 years after uh, Rhythm is a Dancer. But it's, it's a great ditty. It's a great ditty. A great fan chant. I quite enjoy it. He's got quite a remarkable record of late, he said, running that one out again. Uh, coming off the bench to score late on for United in Madrid, just as he did at Ellen Road on Sunday. A lovely cool finish. The obligatory questions about Jan Oblek's positioning. Uh, Duncan, 
was it United's worst performance under Rangnick? What do the numbers say? Well, they didn't have a touch in the opposition penalty box until the 55th minute, which for me mm. is against a, a non-vintage Atletico team is is not ideal. As Carl said, they just the first half they were they just looked scared. I mean, I know the atmosphere was good, but um, this is Manchester United. Their players should be able to handle that. But yeah, they the, the last 20 minutes they they got on top. And I think probably have got a blueprint for the second leg there. Um, you'd imagine Alanga might start as well. I mean, Ranjit came out at the end and said, Alanga plays with joy and I wish some other players would look at him as an example. And it's like, hmm, wonder who he's... wonder which gesticulating uh, icon he might be referencing there. But um, yeah, I think it's funny. With, I think with a lot of these games this week in the Champions League, as you said at the start, three of them ended in draws. Now, in previous years, there'd have been quite a lot of jeopardy, but... But basically, it's like a sort of Rumbelow's Cup now, isn't it? Where it's just a draw. There's another <laughs> 90 slash 120 minutes to go. That a lot of that mystique and and potential drama from the away goals rule has gone. Um, and I think a lot of those teams will be happy almost turning it into a straight, you know, one-off game in the second leg. Well, we'll see. We'll see about that. We should salute uh, the imposter Jao Felix and his uh, magnificent header to open the scoring <laughs> for. Our- Atletico Madrid. I do get... So, Roy Keane said that. When did Roy Keane say that about... He said that during the Euros, uh, I believe. Oh, did he? Okay. When uh, Portugal were were on their way out of the tournament and and Roy Keane decried João Felix as an imposter. I mean, again, if you look um, at the numbers, it's uh, the numbers of what he cost and the numbers of what he's produced. You can see how people might feel that he he hasn't lived up to the billing, but I think you know one of the issues would be the manager and the the way that the the manager that he works for, who how he plays his football. Lo- lovely goal though. Sorry, uh, Duncan. Yeah, I mean we did a piece on the analysts earlier in the month. Joao Felix, for someone of his you know stature and ability and, and playing style, he gets far far fewer opportunities in games usually than equivalent players at other teams. So it's almost like the pressure's on him to do more when he gets the ball because he won't get the number of touches a, a Messi or a, a Neymar will. So, you know, if you can start scoring diving headers like Keith Houchin in his pomp, then fair play. That's a good thing to add. Who is who is that? Keith Houchin. Charles, come 87 on. FA Cup final. Oh, OK. That's, that is an iconic goal. There's a, there is, a, I think, a painter and decorator near where I live whose van I see quite often, who was called Keith Houchin. And every time I see the van, it makes me think, I, I wonder if that is the Keith Houchin. If he is I wonder now if like his a, finish North, is every like bit a, as good as... Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. Whether he's sort of... Does that is someone of Keith Houchin's generation, it is feasible he went on to become a patron mm. decorator in North Yorkshire. That is not... Absolutely. That's not impossible. Um, Joao Felix was a, was a really weird signing for two reasons when, when Atletico bought him. One was the price, which was nuts. And there's no... You can't really debate the fact they overpaid for him. That's just Atleti got, got a little bit done by Benfica slash the agents on the price. And the other is that it was never really apparent where he was going to fit into a Simeone team. And I think it's not his fault, but the last couple of years, one of the issues with Atleti, as they've tried to evolve into something different, is that it doesn't look like Simeone really wants to do it. There's part of him thinking, I've got to do this. I think he recognises the need to do it, but I'm not sure he, like deep in his cholo soul, really thinks this is something I desperately want to do. I want to, I want to have mm. like a, a, a elfin, creative Portuguese midfielder as a number 10. And even if you, look, you looked at the bench last night when they were starting to lose control, and I, 
I don't know, I think it's fair to say United were awful for, for an hour, but they were also quite good for the last half an hour. And a football match does last mm. 90 minutes. So even, you know, if, if you start badly and you are then a bit better, that should be kind of factored in. But you looked at the bench and you thought they've got Suarez and Griezmann and, you know, Thomas Lamar was on the bench. They were missing Tarasco, who I think has been Atleti's best player this year. Certainly in, in big games, he's the one bit of pace they've got. I'm not sure Simeone really... They're not really Simeone players, any of them. Like, I'm not sure he's that bothered by... I think Suarez would have been like five years ago, but like an essentially static Luis Suarez is not what a Simeone team mm. needs. Griezmann's a bit, and I realise he came from Atleti, but Griezmann's a bit sort of starry now. He's a bit, he's a little bit Galactico. That doesn't really fit into the into the model. There's just there's a weirdness to Atletico, and I think eventually United, who have exactly the same problem, kind of worked that out and found a way through. Although that said, the, they scored the goal because Renan Lodi fell over. That shouldn't be. <laughs> shouldn't be underestimated. Well, the the pace of the of the pass put made him fall over. Surely, I don't. I I don't. I mean, that is maybe maybe I maybe. fall over a lot on football pitches. So so I can't. There's lots of reasons you fall over on a football pitch. But I'm pretty sure if he doesn't fall over, they don't score. Mm. One one. Then Atleti also hitting the bar twice in the game. Who who do you like for the second leg? Who have you got? I think this is United to lose I mean, if they don't get discombobulated in that 45 minutes. They should, hopefully, carry out their task and, and defeat Atletico Madrid. I think what's also interesting now for United is their f- best front three includes Jadon Sancho and Anthony Alanga on current form, which means Daniel Storey has often talked about how United have reached the critical mass of attacking talent where there's always at least one very good player that's going to be sat on the bench. I think we've reached the point now where Marcus Rashid will probably have to sit on the bench um, for these big games because Alanga is far more diligent in his defensive work and and he's a lot more uh, attuned to running in behind in a way that Rashford used to be but isn't at this current point in time. I think mm. Rangnick really likes Alanga. He, yes. there's, there's an interesting there's an interesting like dynamic around Alanga which is that he he is the sort of player that Manchester United, if they want to play the sort of football that Pochettino plays or that Eric Ten Hard plays, that that kind of Gaden pressing, intense, dynamic style that that is now the way that all of the elite teams in Europe play, then you need players like Anthony Alanga. The question with United is always, if you start the 19-year-old Swedish kid, you have to leave out now not just one, but two pretty big stars. And that's that's going to be a real challenge. That's the, It's kind of the problem Man United face in microcosm. Mm. All right. Oh, one other thing before we move on. Uh, I think we were probably all shocked when uh, Man United took the knee before the game began and the crowd at the Wanda Metropolitano largely whistled this. And the first reaction is, why would, why would you whistle that? But people have pointed out that it's it's an, an unfortunate illustration of the fact that to some extent, progress has been made because it is a surprise to us now in this country that because people don't do that anymore. Whereas you know, a year ago, uh, they they were regarding that gesture as being somehow offensive. It's a uh, it's a curious one in that when I watch Champions League games between two non English sides, I do have a little knee jerk moment. Oh yeah, they don't. They don't take the knee anymore, which you know, shows the strength of, of the knee and why it does work, because it has essentially normalised a little bit of anti-racism rhetoric into the footballing space, uh, and it was much needed. Uh, in terms of the jeers, I am choosing to not be exhausted by it. Uh, any individual who takes the knee or understands why the knee is important also understands that at some point in time, taking the knee 
will involve or will see you encounter some form of dissent and disruption. So, um, yeah, if they want to whistle, fine. But I hope Manchester United players and other players of Premier League persuasion continue to do so. Mm, indeed. All right, let's uh, hit the other Champions League midweek games after this. It's the Paddy Power Football Supporters Support Line and ahead of the League Cup final, we're speaking to Liverpool fan Chris. Yeah, I've been saying since the start of the season, you know, that the one that we really want to win this season is the League uh, <coughs> Cup. Yeah, what, what was that? The League <coughs> Cup, yeah. The League Cup might not be top of everyone's trophy wish lists, but Paddy Power are offering a free £5 bet builder on the final this weekend. Paddy Power. Selected online bets only. Min two plus legs. Max one free £5 bet per customer. Must have previously deposited to avail. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Become aware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. All right, the 1-1 draw at the Wanda Metropolitana stylistically had some parallels, I would say, Rory Smith, with that Juventus performance at Villarreal, which objectively was more awful by most <laughs> metrics. Uh, they took the lead earlier. Uh, what was that, 33 seconds? Dusan Vlahovic scoring on his Champions League debut, then utterly abandoned any attacking intent whatsoever. It was very much like watching the Giovanni Trapattoni's Juventus, or indeed Giovanni Trapattoni's any team. Um, it was yeah. it was very like stereotypically Italian in a way that isn't really true anymore, because that's mm. not how most Italian teams played. But Juve decided to kind of the, the the cliche thing to say is is the early goal didn't do them any favours because that it then gave them something to sit sit back and protect. Although, as Duncan points out, the thing they had to sit back and protect isn't nearly as valuable as it used to be. So you mm. shouldn't really sit back and protect it. Also, I've been watching Dusan Vlavic since he joined you, and obviously before, but particularly the the excitement that his debut in, in Serie A brought with a, another early goal and a brilliantly taken one much like this has just kind of dissipated as he's he's got kind of lost in this kind of ongoing allegri, allegrismo that we're having, which is very unallegro. Uh, I fear that he might become a bit of a João Felix figure, a tremendous talent that's utterly underused. There seems to be a lot of pressure on his shoulders to transform an entire club single-handedly, which is never really an ideal situation for a, for a player who's still quite young and who, as as I think James Horncastle pointed out earlier this week, like he he never played in the Champions League. That for all that he's held up in the same the same breath as Mbappe and Haaland, he he hasn't proved himself on that level yet at all. He's not had the chances. He's been playing for Fiorentina. I'm not I'm not sure that that strike force, even with Dybala there necessarily looks to me like a sufficiently like balanced team to to go far in the Champions League although it should be pointed out Juve did come away from from Villarreal with a positive result and would mm. be favourites to go through and if they get a relatively kind draw mm. in the quarters 
you know, it, it's not impossible that they might end up in the semi-finals of the Champions League, which is a pretty good return for a very flawed team. Well, that's true. I don't think the strike force is, is so much the issue, though. It's, I think without getting in depth on Juve, I think it's more the midfield which which leaves the strike force utterly unserviced. And, and part of the issue there is that possibly because they needed to find the money for Vlajevic, they sold off two. Well, one particularly key asset in Bentancur, and another one who would have been quite useful, Kulusevski, uh, in the same January transfer window. So very much, you know, a short blanket, either not covering your feet or the upper reaches your body situation, perhaps. Oh, sorry, Rory. Yeah, I was going to say that, that I mean, in some ways it is admirable that they decided to construct a strike force that looks like it's, it is exclusively made up of 1950s counterfeit cigarette salesmen in Murata and Vlajevic, <laughs> both of whom have a real kind of fate ration book air to, to them. <laughs> In the way they right. look, Gary that's not Sparrow. meant to be. There, there, there's a little, there's something a little bit, a little bit Boise about both of them. If I'm completely mm. honest, one, one for the. I mean, if Charles not heard of Teeth Houchin, he's probably not heard of Boise. I'm the, taking um, your, I'm taking your point <laughs> about uh, uh, about Morata on that, but for me, Vlajevic looks like a Jacob Rees-Mogg is uh, uh, sporting cousin. Yeah, that's Check not bad. Check him out next time actually, you yeah, see yeah. him. Yeah. Dybala, meanwhile, is a ringer for Erin out of Attack on Titan. Oh, I don't oh, know that reference. I didn't have you down as an Attack on Titan fan. Uh, I've been introduced to it, and it's um, it's it's bonkers. Yeah, it's very it's very good, shonen. Is this a television anyway, program? This is like the opposite an of anime, the Keith Houchin yeah. thing. It is an <laughs> anime, my friend. <laughs> no, I was going to say that the there is there's clearly an issue with with the midfield. Like you, you are not a balanced team. They're not a particularly good team. That Serie A form kind of shows that. But they will look at a couple of teams coming through, including Manchester United, and think, you know, if we get them and not a Bayern or a Liverpool or a Manchester City, then we stand a chance of making making the final four. What about a Benfica or an Ajax after their uh, match built on history, as it was uh, on Wednesday? 2-2, it finished. Did it live up to that utterly magnificent little film that they, that, that Ajax put out to celebrate Almost. the fixture? It, 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 it. It seemed quite nice considering how good that video was that the game ended in the draw. Hmm. The My housemate partner is an Ajax fan, watched the game very much behind me uh, and was making loads of frantic noises and, and shouting and screaming at Sebastian Haller, who scored an own goal and then scored a goal in the space of, I think, four minutes. Their post-match debrief was very much of the moment Ajax assumed ascendancy. They simply forgot how to play, quote-unquote, Ajax football in the second half. So, again, uh, it seems to be... I've always said I miss away goals and I think they're fantastic. But it does seem as if the lack of jeopardy that away goals provided has created a sort of complacency to some of these Champions League first legs. Uh, I, I don't, I would not have believed Ajax to have ended that game 2-2 if away goals were still a thing. Well, they conceded more goals in that game than they did in their previous 10 in all competitions. So, Wow. Yeah, but... I mean, Haller, his season is going to go down as one of the the great... I mean, I hope he can maintain it, but it feels like it's going to go down as one of those great statistical quirks. He scored as many goals in seven Champions League games as Michael Owen did in six Champions League seasons, which is pretty impressive. Excellent. Well, uh, Chelsea, meanwhile, were also in action. That was Tuesday night with a 2-0 victory over Lille. Girls here from Kai Havertz and Kristen Pulisic, but not from Romelu Lukaku who was dropped to the bench. Uh, Chelsea are the first English team in the history of the European Cup or Champions League to win five consecutive home matches without conceding a goal. So that's that's good. Um, Lukaku, it d- doesn't look like there's only one way this is going between him and 
Thomas Tuchel. Sounds like a long two-year loan to somewhere else uh, as Chelsea inevitably go, oh, we probably shouldn't have sold Tammy Abraham. Um, but it's it weird, is, isn't it? It's, we- like it's it a is. weird situation because Lukaku is a brilliant player. We know Lukaku is a brilliant player. We've seen that Lukaku is a brilliant player and Tuchel is a brilliant manager. He won the Champions League in six months. It was probably the greatest like one-off managerial feat of recent times to turn that Chelsea team, the one that he encountered, into European champions overnight. And Chelsea's Chelsea are really they're a really well run club. Like they're they're considered broadly best in class in terms of how they scout, how they how they recruit, how they spend their money. They obviously have a lot of money because they've got a you know Russian backer, but they they spend it well. It's hard to they're not they're not the kind of 2005, 2006 Chelsea who just sort of frittered money away on the off chance that the, this collection, random collection of big names would work. That's a, a mantle they've passed to Manchester United. And yet they spent 90 million quid on Romelu Lukaku, who's a player they know really well because they used to employ him. Mm. And yet they don't really seem to have brought him in and thought, right, how are we going to get him? What does he add to this system and, and how do we get that out of him? They've... Tuchel is asking him to do something that doesn't really suit him. We saw it in said that he kind of works well with a partner, that he he wants to be involved in the game, that he's not a target man in that sense. And yet they've not really tweaked the way they play to to accentuate that. They, they've been like, mm. well, you can stand there, Romelu, and and be Romelu Lukaku and you'll store loads of goals. The whole thing is a bit weird. Yeah, I looked at something on Lukaku earlier this week, obviously with the, the seven touches for Rore and... In his 17 times in Premier League history, he's had 50 or more touches in a game, and they were all at Everton. And I think people would broadly agree his best spell in the Premier League was when he was playing at Everton and managers uh, Martinez Koeman got the best out of him because they didn't use him like Chelsea using him. They used him like Inter used him, and lo and behold, he played much better. So I think, Mm. like Rory says, it's baffling that it's not that hard to work out, and yet they don't seem to be doing it. It does seem to me that when your manager says it's not the time to laugh about him and make jokes about him and he's mentally tired, that you're probably... You're at your Mourinho miming a golf swing stage of the relationship. But that's also quite a strange thing for a manager to say. It's like it's the Mm. old don't imagine an elephant sort of thing. It's like if you say don't make a joke about my striker... No, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Mm, The other problem, just touching on what Carl said, and it's not like this, this story hasn't been covered before, the other issue Chelsea have got is... I'm not sure who can pay his wages. I think I saw after after the Sky Italia interview sort of a suggestion that he he wants to go back to Inter. Good luck with that, Romelu. They can't pay you. So you kind of think, well, are Chelsea going to be stuck with him or stuck paying him to play for somebody else? The whole thing is weird. All right. Chelsea fans are saying, hang on a second. We're now 2-0 up in the first leg of our last 16 clash with Lille. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, our manager progressed through or won 73% of all his Champions League knockout ties ever as a manager. That's extraordinary. Let's have some positivity. Well, let's then, as we look ahead to the big cup game that Chelsea have got this weekend. It's the Carabao Cup final. Woohoo! And it's Pitt's Chelsea against Liverpool. Carl, it's only their second meeting in the League Cup final ever. I'm not sure if... You, will you remember the first, perhaps? It's 2005. Jose Mourinho <laughs> is in charge of Chelsea in his coach. That was very fun. And uh, it was again, it was going Liverpool's way until a remarkable own goal from one Steven Gerrard. Oh, the kick has gone in. It's an own goal. Steven Gerrard, 
the Liverpool captain sees it flick in. Remarkably, Chelsea have got their equaliser from a most unlikely source. Stevie OG. Mm. <laughs> Stevie OG. Crikey. That's almost as disrespectful as Mourinho, who uh, celebrated the goal by walking in front of the rows of Liverpool fans and shushing them. Very much the end of Mourinho v1 I would say that that day in the sense that he still had the sort of same hair as he had at Porto he was sent off he was in that grey coat which he used to favour sort of came back I think 0506 might have been the first Carl's the expert here but the first buzz cut came in at some point so yeah it feels it's quite I watched the highlights of that game this week and it was quite emotional seeing seeing that old Mourinho really because it's quite a long time ago scampish Mourinho some might say mm. I always yeah. describe that era of Mourinho as when he was sort of, he, he looked quite Peter Falk esque. Little, mm. little oh. baby, yeah, the baby Columbos. Yeah. One more thing. Yeah. yeah. One more thing. Here's a Steven Gerrard on goal. Yeah. Peter Falk. Uh, who, you know, Princess Pride, if you're not familiar with his work. I'm fascinated movie. by Charles' cultural hinterland. <laughs> like, so Peter Falk and Columbo is yeah. fine, but Tick. Keith Houchin is a complete mystery. That is. I was born in the 90s and had uh, a number of childminders that helped me go further, but not further in that way. <laughs> but Keith Houchin okay. was not one of those childminders. Fine, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense, yeah. Uh, this time around, it's going to be Tuchel and Klopp on the sideline, which is exciting because a German manager has never won a domestic cup competition in England, but one of them's going to this Sunday, 4.30. Hmm. All right, who's it going to be? Well, I think it's an interesting game in the sense that you had the the new guard of English football, sort of your Man City's and your Chelsea's, have, have long taken the League Cup and FA Cup particularly seriously because they want trophies because they haven't got as many. And I think you, it's been a long time coming, but particularly like Liverpool, Man United have not sort of sneered at the Cups, but have taken them less seriously. But I think there's been a real shift in the last couple of years and suddenly everyone's gone, hang on, it's really good to win trophies. And I think Liverpool fans are suddenly you know, talking about 2001 again and you know, wanting to, to maybe win at least a couple of trophy, you know, Cups this season. Um, so I think... You know, Liverpool are going to take this quite seriously, and I think it's. Uh, I fancy them to to win. It seems like everyone's instinct is, is to think that Liverpool are the team in form. That they scored six on on Wednesday night. They've they've closed the gap on Man City to three points. They seem to be firing. They've got a fully fit squad. But I'm not quite sure Chelsea's crisis is is as bleak as everyone thinks it is. They've they've won their last five. Um, their their real blip, I think, was in January rather than in February. I, obviously. Some of the opponents in that run of five games have been Al Hilal and Plymouth Argyle, but they're not they're not woefully out of form. Um, Liverpool won't probably won't have Jota or Firmino. The, I think it's really really finely balanced, and the only the most important thing I guess is that both the league games between the two teams have been really good games, which would be a positive omen for the final. Yeah, I think people have got a muscle memory of Liverpool-Chelsea from the 2000s when it was just, A, they played 56 times a season and B, they weren't very good games. You know, hashtag George Vardano. So, um, yeah, as I think if we can get something that's as, as good as the two league games a season, then um, we just want a just want a nice Wembley Cup final classic. Yeah, football to be the real winner in that. Uh, mm. Liverpool, as Rory mentions, warming up for the game nicely with a huh, 6-0 thrashing of Leeds. Two for Salah, both from the spot. Two for Mane. John Matip got one. And so did Virgil van Dijk. Crikey. Apparently. Uh, for, yes. 
a Liverpool historian, says it's the first time two centre backs have scored in a league game at Anfield for the club since 1968. So uh, wow, all right, been a while for Leeds. It's another big defeat. They lost seven nil at the Etihad in December, and six nil this time at Anfield. It means as well that Liverpool are now three points back from Man City. I don't know if anyone's mentioned this, but that title race might not be as over as some of us were saying. I did rather double down on my assertion that it was over on Monday, <laughs> but um, I might have to concede. I, I listened to you kind of equivocating on Monday, James. And, I didn't equivocate. And, <laughs> that was <laughs> pretty I think, clear. I think the problem is that people conflate two things. Ah. So in, in January when Manchester City were like 12 or 14 points clear of Chelsea and Liverpool, it did look like the title race was over, that Manchester City would go in to win the title. Mm. The likelihood remains that Manchester City will win the title because what Liverpool have to do is extremely unlikely. People sort of say, no, you know, they've got to go to the Etihad on April the 9th, whenever it is, and win as though that is something that happens all of the time, that people just pitch up at the Etihad and win. Spurs Liverpool team. also have to win a vast majority of their other games, which is also going to be quite difficult. So I think whilst, yeah, the predictions that the title race was over were premature, mm. and I made them and I hold my hands up to say that I was wrong, the title race is clearly not over, there is a title race, it still remains likelier than not that Manchester City will emerge victorious from that title race. Although the scary thing for for, for, for Man City is that Liverpool have, have hit that streak again. Uh, Sasha posting there uh, on the on either side of a kind of three-game blip around Christmas. They've been absolutely devastating. Six straight wins before Christmas with 17 scored and only two conceded. Post the three-game blip, six straight wins with 18 scored and only two conceded. So, yeah, bang in form. The difficult thing is Liverpool haven't properly caught Manchester City throughout all of their duels. So 18-19, they were in the race and they were in the race and it was a lot to do with games in hand and kickoff times, but they never completely surpassed Manchester City in that title race. City won the title. And then when Liverpool did win the title, that's because they essentially created a fantastic unassailable lead while City collapsed and, and, that what, and that's what happened. And it is very thrilling to watch Liverpool in the mode of Hunter. I don't think they've successfully caught City in all of these title races that we've talked about because it very often just becomes that extra that extra inch, that extra little bit that means City mm. eventually triumph. And, you know, I think Saudi Mane, especially when he is in locked in and going, I need to play near perfect to get the results Liverpool want, is one of the most thrilling football players in the world. But we're essentially talking that Liverpool can do this without the body of work to suggest they've done this mm. before. We'll see what happens. But, I mean, I think we can all agree it's a tr tremendous development. And here comes some numbers from Duncan. Well, it, let's not forget the last time Liverpool scored a lot of goals at Palace last season, they then spiralled. It's actually, it's, it was quite an unusual Liverpool performance, that 6-0 last night, mm. because they don't really, they do, obviously Pep Guardiola City do this a lot. You know, you, you glance up and, oh, look, they've just beaten Norwich or Watford 6 or 7. But that was only the fourth time a Klopp team has scored six or more in the Premier League, which made him overtake um, Sue Ness and Ronald Koeman, which is not the managers you might think. You know, so he's not a sort of like six or more quite regular, uh, like Pep's done it nine times, Alex Ferguson or Wenger, obviously, league because of longevity. But so it is interesting to see. I sometimes think Liverpool, when they have a result like this, can it can kind of make them rest on their laurels a little bit in a way that City don't. But... Let's, you know, for the, for the sake of the title race, let's hope it, uh, that doesn't happen. 
right. you do also have to factor in the lead the leads thing that mm-hmm. the results against bad leads are not a good guide of where a club is because just the, I mean, we saw this with Everton a few weeks ago that leads pitch up at Goodison Park it kind of fall apart a little bit forget to do fairly basic things and Everton get this really easy win and suddenly it's oh well Frank Lampard has revitalised Everton they're going to get in the Champions League this is the future of you know he's going to be the England manager everything's rosy and then it turns out actually it's not because they're st- you know they're still mired in a relegation battle Leeds do have a habit I've been at Old Trafford at least twice where where Man United have absolutely thumped Leeds and you look at it and think right they're going to catch fire now this is this is Man United this is their modern incarnation. And it's not. It's just that when leads go wrong, they go really badly wrong. Mm. I think Duncan's probably right. I haven't, I haven't seen it. I'm not quite sure how he managed to see it. But <laughs> because it wasn't on television. The, um, but I think you have to, yeah, you just have to kind of factor, the, factor leads in to leads losing heavily. Okay, Duncan doesn't watch television. He watches green vertical streams of numbers permeate his consciousness. That's true. Um, Shall we say we're looking forward to Liverpool against Chelsea in the League Cup final this weekend and move on next to the other, perhaps even bigger, midweek Premier League story, which was at Turf Moor. Keep listening for Adrian Clarke versus Benji Lanyardo in the Intertotally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. And it's pre-recorded. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub an official partner of The Athletic. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is excellent news for Everton fans when they make their Lampardian transition from serious to funny to serious once again. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply. Totally Football Show Live is a thing a listener, uh, and people come along and watch us, I know. Uh, But it's going to happen in Manchester on the 19th of April at The Lowry. You can head to thelowry.com for your tickets, if you're quick. On the bill, that man Oily Sailor, Michael Cox, and I can now exclusively reveal Rory Smith of the New York Times. Come on down, Rory. Yeah, that's right, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I love The Lowry. The the gallery rather than the hotel. The hotel is... Okay. Okay, good. There you go. 19th of April. You can hear that and more like that from Rory and Coxie and Oily. Uh, Now, meantime, also out today in podcast terms is a Football Clichés with me and the Totally Football League show, not with me, but with Mark Hughes, appointed Bradford manager in League Two, first time he's been a gaffer outside the top flight, and Alexander Mitrovic, perhaps more significantly, scoring his 32nd league goal of the season for Fulham against Peterborough on Wednesday, which means he has... And 33rd. Crikey. This just in. And he's now at 33. Crikey, which is already more than uh, Ivan Tony did. Uh, Go on, Duncan, can you explain the significance of this? Yeah, it's one of those slightly contrived records because they've done it sort of since it became the championship. But right. the record was Ivan Tony 
uh, last season. He's now surpassed that. Obviously, the all-time second-tier record is George Camsell's 59 the year before D- Dixie Dean got 60. So, mm. I mean, if he gets 50, which is doable, then I think that will be one of the great modern goal-scoring seasons and we can look forward to him maybe hitting eight or nine next season. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Midweek Premier League. Arsenal and Wolves play Thursday evening. Liverpool beat Leeds 6-0, as we've heard. Also, Watford lost 4-1 to Crystal Palace. And Burnley beat Spurs 1-0. Ben Mee, uh, although that's not the verb I'd choose. uh, But uh, what a story this was. Beating Man City and losing to Burnley in the space of one week is peak Spurs. And saying, these are the best players I've ever worked with. And then four days later, asking, where's the exit is peak Antonio Conte but while Spurs and Conte do them the bigger story surely is a club that surprises us all by surviving at this level year on year out and they're doing their miracle survival bid again Uh, Andy Jones athletics correspondent on Burnley joins us now Andy thank you so much for joining us first first of all what's going on well wins uh, pretty much, which is uh, well has been a rarity for Burnley this season. One in in twenty one it was, and now they've got back to back wins. Um, and you know, just the mood in the last you know four days is, or five days has, has completely switched from from a team who were bottom and while they were starting to turn performances round and, and looking better, you know, still hadn't got got over the line. And in terms of those wins, um, but a typical Burnley win, I think you'd describe it against Tottenham. You know that that scrap, that battle, that fight. You know, horrible conditions, a turf more, a place you don't want to be at. And and they go and get the goal and, and get the right side of the result, which is something they've, they've struggled to do all season. Mm. Uh, there's been much excitement about the arrival of Vote Veghorst, but what, what was the significance of Ben Mee doing the scoring here? I mean, you, you see it in the celebration. Uh, he's, he's, he sort of defines everything about Burnley in, in terms of that that attitude, that leadership that he, that he brings. And, you know, he beat the badge as he, as he wheeled away and sort of let out this... This animalistic roar, if you like, and he, it was etched across his face. It was. It means everything to these players. And I, mean, I spoke to him uh, last last month to sort of to mark his ten years at the club. And you know, it, it was very. He made it very very clear that he thought they were they weren't far away, and that they had the they had the players in place to be able to go and, and stay up still. And and that his sole focus was on on making sure that the Burnley stay in the Premier League this this season. And he epitomises everything everything good about them really. Andy, uh, Burnley have won only two of their last 33 Premier League home matches against big six oppositions, and both times it was against Spurs. So how much were Tottenham the difference in the performance here? And, and, and beyond playing Spurs, what has been behind this turnaround? Well, to, to come to your second question first, I mean, they, they basically pressed the reset button after the defeat at Leeds um, at the start of the year. It was 3-1. It was, it was a game that, you know, they needed to get something out of, and, and they were just poor and... You know, they got back into it a little bit, but, you know, they were the second best all day. Um, and they hit the reset button, they went back to basics, got the defence right, which was on show at Arsenal when they went there. Didn't really create anything, you know, significant, but got out with a nil-nil. Um, and since then, as built and, and Valvegost has, has come in and, and sort of, you know, become a focal point in the attack and, and made a massive difference. And, and you can see the players lifting in confidence around that. Um, you, you mentioned that the home record there, and yeah, it, generally it's been it's been awful for the last sort of calendar year. I think they'd only won one in the last sort of twelve months, um, which was at Brentford in, in October. Um, I, I mean, it was one of them against Tottenham. It, it just it just felt right, but then equally, 
you know, they've had very good performances against Liverpool where they were probably unlucky to, to not come away with, with anything from that game. They you know, should have probably taken the lead in the game. And against Manchester United second half, they, they more than matched them. They've just got that feeling back that the crowd is, is very much playing its part and the hostile nature of Turf Moor's returning, which obviously with the pandemic and no crowds, you literally couldn't have that. But, you know, that, that element of, of everybody pulling in the same direction, everyone knowing that they can help everyone else Fans can help players. Players can help the fans. You know, it's that togetherness, which is which is you know big, been significant as well as what they've done behind the scenes and, and on the pitch. Well, they're they're eighth in the form table over the last six games. Four clean sheets in that period. It, it is kind of every year that Burnley do this, kind of plummet downwards, and then just when people begin to dare to write them off, produce one of their comebacks. But is there a chance? With with the new backing at the club, with the with the signings of a, almost a, a different kind of player, with I don't know Maxwell Corne and now Vegas, that we're seeing a shift away from the the Burnley that we've been accustomed to, in a way. But equally, that those still you know those clear values that Dice you know has always worked under will will remain, and you see that, and and even the types of players he bought in. I mean Vegas, you know, is exactly that type of player. He hmm. suit Burnley down to a T in terms of his values, his fitness levels, you know, everything about him is. That's his, his professionalism. That's why he's fitted in so well. Um, but I do. You, you are right. We are seeing a change. The, the new owners are open, much more open to exploring the European markets. You know, we, we've seen that with the signings of Corne and, and Vegost, and you know, they've looked at other players. I think, I think they, they really like the French, the French market, and and I'm, I'm sure they'll, they'll be exploring that even further, especially with with Corne's initial success. Um, so I think it will be a bit of a mix and match in terms of we might see a. You know, a, a style change a little bit, but then they'll always go back to being that, that you know that type of team that Dice knows can can chain out those results and what they've they've got back to to, to being good at in the, in the last few weeks. Andy Jones, Burnley now 18th, two points from safety. The team immediately above them are well, two teams actually: Newcastle and Everton. It's Newcastle who Burnley will be facing on the final day of the season. Gosh. Anyway, well done them. Spurs, though, here's that Duncan Alexander with a stat. Spurs have now lost as many Premier League games as Burnley this season and let in three more goals. Someone was like, what's the source? It's like the league table. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it is interesting with that Burnley because they have drawn a lot of games. They're not, they, mm. Even in their, in their woes, they've obviously been not easy to beat very often. Mm. So... And do you remember when you were people were poo-pooing the the idea that a lot of games in hand isn't good for a season? But we're now seeing the the narrative that it injects into a campaign because right. it has. To, I think it's related to Burnley's upturn in form that they have the two most compelling footballers in the Premier League. There are no players more interesting in, in English football than Corne and Vedhorst. I, I could consume Maxwell Corne and Vout Vedhorst content for literally weeks. Just everything like. What is Maxwell Corne doing in Burnley? Like mm. this sort of this impish, brilliant, but slightly unpredictable and slightly unreliable player playing for Burnley. And then Vedhorst is just this kind of he's always scored loads of goals, he's enormous, and yet kind of everything that kind of English football has tried to move away from in a in a sense. Obviously he's technically very good, but he's the big target man, he's powerful, but we we all look like the entire country loves him. People are fascinated if, by Vout Vedhorst. Yeah, I, he could I, run for election. I'd vote for him. I'd vote for him. I mean, you, his name he, is literally vote. Yeah. That's exactly. I mean, is, is, <laughs> yeah. that, is that allowed? Vote, I don't know. Vote, but, vote. but, I mean, it, obviously this game was 
rearranged because the first time they tried to play it, it got snowed off and Sean Dyche was parading around in just a shirt. <laughs> yeah. And then if you said to Antonio Conte, right, you've got to come back here in a, in a month or so, but mm. in the meantime, Burnley will sign a six-foot-six striker and the weather's going to be not quite as bad, but still pretty windy and rainy. I mean, no wonder he was sort of trying to resign in the post-match interview. <laughs> <laughs> was he trying to resign in the post-match Interview. I mean, I'm I'm slightly wary of, of of spending a lot of time talking about this because there is a feeling that this is just what Conte does. Yeah, uh, this is this yeah. is who he's always been. He's always been a character that that feels the great rush of victory and then existential lamentations when there's defeat. Hmm. Um, I I'm I'm thoroughly thrilled by both teams reverting to type pretty much. Uh, Burnley have spent several seasons making statistics people look very foolish because they do something when defending that is quite hard to pick up in XG charts and whatnot. So it's very easy to look at the numbers and go, oh, Burnley are terrible. Uh, and then Burnley go on a little run. So I think Burnley having games in hand is different from, say, Brighton Spurs having games in hand. Or, or, or Spurs, Spurs having games in hand. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the highly combustible nature of Tottenham Hotspur is you can only really de- define it within the other highly combustible times of Tottenham Hotspur. So. There is a... I think the contrast between the two Spurs performances is what's interesting, that they were brilliant at the Etihad 72 hours before being awful at Turf Moor. And I, and I know what you mean, James, that, that Conte does this a lot, and mm. f- from the outside, like his certainly his whole last year at Inter seemed to be him saying on a fortnightly basis, I'm going to resign, lads. I'm going to go. <laughs> You don't want me to go, but I'm I'm going to go. But the, for, for a manager for a manager to come out and say what he said in the aftermath of that game, I think is significant, and you you have to pay heed to it, particularly at a club where I'm guessing Daniel Levy doesn't really want that side of that's not kind of what Daniel Levy wants from his manager. He doesn't want one defeat, and you know I need to talk about my position. The the players are always the same, but the manager Given changes. That he signed Mourinho and and Conte's managers. He he, he may <laughs> need to. It? Yeah. revises recruitment he just loves the drama yeah maybe so yeah all right well four defeats out of five as uh, Antonio mentioned post game at Turf Moor and next up they're facing Leeds on Saturday which is going to be an interesting game that will make them feel better yeah they'll feel a lot better after Leeds We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. What else is coming up this weekend? Let's have a quick romp through the fixtures. Friday, it's Saints-Norwich. 
Saturday, yes, the early game is Leeds against Spurs. Three o'clock, you've got Brentford hosting Newcastle, which is a big game down the bottom now. There's only two points between them as well. Crystal Palace are facing Burnley. Uh, Brighton get a visit from Villa and Man United host Watford. The tea time game on Saturday is Everton Man City. Ooh, could Everton do their Merseyside rivals Liverpool a favour in the title race? Probably not because they've lost their last nine games in a row with Man City. But we'll see. Sunday, it's West Ham against Wolves. Oof. What's your what's your pick of that? Do you want to grab a game each that you're most excited about? I'm gonna I want to take Brentford versus Newcastle because I think these are two teams in a possible opposite momentum. Also, it was three three when they faced each other at St James's, which was fun. And you know, without wanting to evoke Matt Davis Adams too much, I am getting the the Matt Davis Adams spider sense when I'm watching this Brentford team going. Hang on, Ooh, are we sure? Much. Yeah, are we sure you're safe from the relegation battle? Well, Do you want to hear my hot take about this? I okay. think the three teams that are going to go down, none of them are currently in the relegation zone. Oh, my Ooh. word. Ooh. Boom. So you're saying that Watford, Norwich, and who's the other day? Burnley are all going to stay up? Yeah. And I this think is... Leeds, Brentford, and Everton are going down. Duncan, you're not flip-reversing now. This is reality we're talking this about. This is, yeah. Have you got anything, apart from your wish to shock and just be generally controversial, what is behind this assertion? Well, as Carl was just saying, Brentford are in a, in a spiral. I think you, know, right. you, you see this quite a lot with, with teams of their stature that get promoted. It does you know, start well and then, mm. and then fade. I mean, Everton just look really bad and all their numbers are, are really bad. Um, mm. And then Leeds, as we were saying earlier, they, they're just... They can't defend and they're conceding a load of goals. Now, obviously, Watford aren't in great form, but I think it's easy to look at the midweek defeat to, to Palace and go, well, they were terrible. But they weren't that bad. Palace scored four goals from an XG of 0.7, so that mm. was pretty unlikely in itself. Hodgson will, will keep them picking up points. Norwich, not great, but they're better under Smith. And we all know about Burnley. Burnley going to finish top half. So, yeah, it's on. <laughs> they are. I, I think I can I can see a case in which Burnley and Watford just about get out of it. Norwich, I think it's harder to yeah to see surviving, and I'm I'm not sure. I think Everton Everton probably will pull themselves away a little bit. I worry a lot about Leeds, largely from a just a geographic proximity point of view. That's quite nice <laughs> being within an hour of a Premier League stadium. It would be it would be less than ideal for me personally if they were relegated. Mm. Uh, Everton who are level with Newcastle, if Newcastle beat Brentford, which you can imagine happening, and if Burnley win their game against Palace, Everton are going to be at home to Man City. They could well be in the bottom three by Saturday night. And this is, so this is what makes the, that game interesting. And it's what, what we kind of forget a little bit when, we, when you look at the, the end of the season, is that there comes a point where the teams who are rubbish are not the ones you want to face because they are mm. fighting for something. So it might still be a little bit early. It's still only February, but you, you don't want to be playing Norwich away. You want to play Norwich away in October if you're trying to win the title. You don't want to play Norwich away in early May. Does at that point, there is that just slight randomness of they're desperate and they might just be able to lift themselves. And I think Everton Man City is is much more of a banana skin for City than it should be because mm. Everton will be starting to feel the pressure. Okay. I mean, City will still win 5-0, but, you know, in theory. <laughs> right. That's no, a, it's a lovely thought. OK, uh, Everton have won both their home games under Frank Lampard, former City player, of course, by three goals. 
So there's that. Uh, Leeds Tottenham, we mentioned. West Ham Wolves is a bit of a six-pointer in the top four race. It was a 1-0 win at Molyneux for Wolves. Raul Jimenez. Uh, the Clarets, Burnley, will be away at Palace. That was also a 3-3 back in November. More of that, please. Uh, and Palace looking good. Well, 4-1 against Watford and their former manager, Roy Hodgson, midweek. Hmm. Duncan, we never got your fixture that you're excited about. Uh, probably West Ham Wolves, okay. I would say, just because it's a clash of approaches. You know, West Ham, they've scored and conceded in 17 different Premier League games this season, which is uh, a, the most of any team. So, you know, goals at both ends, maybe not necessarily what you think from a, from David Moyes' team, whereas obviously Wolves are very much the reverse, who are, you know, looking to get in the top four with uh, with not many goals. So I think Wolves seem to be the, the team that are, improving or, or coming good most at the moment. Um, obviously, Pedro Neto's just got back from long-term injury, which I think is a, a big you know, hashtag, like a new signing. Um, whoever wins this game can really probably say, look, we have actually got a chance of getting in the top four, given the inconsistency amongst the other big teams going for it. I know Arsenal have got the probably in the best position in terms of games in hand and stuff, but it would be lovely to see one of these two get into the top four. Um, and it'd be interesting to see who who comes out with three points if it's not a draw. Uh, this set of fixtures is the reverse of the games back in November, which saw both Dean Smith and Stephen Gerrard debut with new clubs. Uh, they both won their first game in charge. How long ago that seems. Uh, Southampton were the visitors for Norwich for Dean Smith's first game in charge. It was Villa at home to Brighton. The reverse is take Villa down to the Amex. Ooh, producer Charlie just mentioned that Eddie Howe's first game in charge was going to be at home to Brentford, but of course he had the COVID, so he had to sit that one out. But, you know, he was officially signed up. Uh, but yeah, Stephen Gerrard uh, and Aston Villa at Brighton, they've only had one win in the last eight games now. Crikey. And for that matter, uh, Norwich... Although they've had two defeats in a row, but before that they had a four-game unbeaten run. Crikey! That's the thing with Norwich. They are they've just lost to to City and Liverpool, which can happen to the best of us. Um, they're at Southampton on Friday night. Carl knows what happens to Southampton on Friday nights. They lose nine nil. <laughs> so oh, mate, don't bring it up. Again. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that Villa of Villa of uh, suddenly collapsed in form as well. Because I think that's. That that runs totally contrary to the perception of of how Gerard's doing at Villa. This is something I, I once said to Chris Sutton, and he he was scornful of the of the logic. Did he but call I you do, a caveman? Uh, he didn't call me a caveman. He just sort of laughed in my face, and <laughs> which he does a lot, and told told me it was nonsense. But I'm really interested in how like general perception of a team is forged by its results when its games are on television. Mm. Yes. And I think it's a massive factor in how we think teams are doing. So I'm, mm. I'm guessing if you went to most fans and said, hey, Villa have won one in eight, people would be like, no, 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 they haven't. They're, they're good. Gerard's got them playing really, really well. And it's because they've had a couple of big games in which they've played well on TV. Yeah. And one reason uh, why the 9-0 defeat for Southampton was so shocking was because it was one of the, the handful of games Southampton are on television. Mm. As, oh, wow. as, all, right. as was their 9-0 at United, right? Quite. Um, you, stop. I don't know what I'm talking about. So I, don't know. Um, I think with Aston Villa, one, one big thing is the way they're playing right now is simply ask John McGinn to do too much defending. 
the whole point of, of Villa and the Gerrard is they're trying to play in this narrow 4-3-3. But um, while Coutinho is, is a joy to, to watch when he's enjoying football, uh, he's not the most diligent defender anymore. And it does leave quite a little bit of space in, in, in central midfield where Villa are a little bit threadbare. Um, McGinn, I'm a big fan of, I think he's, He's one of the Premier League football players I watch and go, you could be, you could improve 20 to 35% if someone just took you away from the football and the training ground and go, this is how you run in a more economical style. Um, okay. But I think he's being stretched much too thin in this other team right now. Uh, am I going to be seeing long reads about how uh, Coutinho is Villa's Asprilia? What, ends the season with more assists than any other player in the league <laughs> since his signing? Possibly, because he is doing quite well at the moment. But, um, yeah, I mean, since him and Luca Dean made their debuts, Coutinho's had the most shots, Dean has created the most chances, which you do, with a manager as iconic and, I guess, influential as Gerard, you do wonder whether he'll get to the summer and go, all right, lads, my signings work, give me give me loads more signings, where mm. which might not necessarily be economical for, for Villa. But, I mean, they're far enough up that they should be fine. They're not in my vortex of relegation doom but um it's quite a it's quite an intriguing game this one because Brighton aren't in great form either you know they've only scored 10 goals in 12 Premier League home games this season the old remember back in sort of September October we were like yeah Graham Potter's cracked it he's broken XG Brighton well, are going to be the new whatever yeah, but, but 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 before they lost to Man United and the resurgent Burnley, they were on their longest undefeated run in Premier League history. Yeah, but they just draw all the time there, you know. Mm. No wow. one that, that. that that was true in that first spell as well when the Duncan mentions when when Potter was was being and this is I think Graham Potter's a great manager, I'm not criticizing him, but there was a there was a sense that he was doing brilliantly and you looked at the results and Brighton hadn't won in ten. And they'd they'd drawn eight games. We're gonna round up what happens in all of these matches on Monday. Loads of things to look forward to. We haven't finished with today's show, though, by a long shot, because next up we're going to conclude with Inter-Totally Cup Match 3, Benji against Adrian. So far, listener, our opening matches have seen Duncan Alexander are putting Alvaro Romeo into his misery with a 4-0 defeat, and then Dom Fifield defeating Tom Williams 4-1. Next up, Two more contestants. Up first is a West Ham fan who made it all the way to last year's final without kicking a single cat en route. He's the acceptable face of the East End. He is Benji Laniado. Yep, he's the man who froze out the competition all the way to the final last year, Benji Laniado. Hey, Jimbo. Good to have you back, Benji. How have you been? Yeah, I've been good. I mean, I think it was the absolute peak of my football trivia powers last year. I've had, I've had, um, I've had a kid since, and I, and I think that all that space in my brain that was taken up with football trivia has been replaced with, frankly, much more useful information since then. So, I mean, I'm here. I'm, I'm here. I'm just here to enjoy myself, Jimbo. All right. Well, you enjoyed your way all the way to the final match last time round. Let's see if you can get past round one this time as we introduce your opponent. And his opponent, he's a former Gooner who's also played for Rotherham, Southend twice, Carlisle once, Stevenage, Hendon, Margate and Welling United. And uh, that's all we've got time for in this intro. It's Adrian Clark. 
How long will this last? Adrian, a man whose career is built on quality and quantity, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, how long will it last? Probably not that long. Um, but, but yeah, we're here to have a bit of fun, aren't we? I, uh, I've not been very good on the Totally Football League show quizzes this season. And normally the specialist subject is my own career and, and I've struggled on that. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, you know, questions on other people might, might help me today. Adrian, you went crashing out in the opening round uh, of last year's competition. Uh, how have you been doing since? Have you had any children or anything? <laughs> no, but I do have three, so so yeah, I don't have a lot of room in there. Um, right. But no, I'm yeah, I'm looking I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, it was it was a tough draw. I lost four three, I think, to Duncan Alexander mm. last year. Um, no shame in that. But no yeah, I'm just hoping to hoping to avoid the duck this year. Well, indeed. All right. Well, Adrian's leading three one on the children count, but let's see how he does on the questions. I should <laughs> just mention the winner, of course, progresses straight to the quarterfinals and will receive ten pounds for the charity of their choice. Paddy Power will also place that sum on the bet of your choice, with the winnings also going to charity. So, what will your charity be, Benji? What's your uh, charity of choice? It's a company called Well Grounded. Um, they help people from underprivileged backgrounds. Uh, they train them for jobs in the speciality coffee industry. Really, really cool company. Tremendous. And what is your wager going to be? It's uh, Craig Dawson to score any time this weekend, which would make it three and three for him. Ooh, all right. Adrian, your charity of choice? Uh, muscular dystrophy research for me, please, uh, this year. Okay. And uh, your bet? Oh, my bet is uh, Sadio Mane to score any time in the Carabao Cup final. Brilliant. Carabao Cup final. Nice. OK, well, it's the Inter-Totally Cup first round now. And first up, it's Adrian. Adrian, here come your questions. Question one. Who was the last club outside of Juventus, Milan and Inter to win Serie A? Juventus, Milan and Inter. OK. Not yeah, not my specialist area, Italian football, it has to be said. I I'm gonna go for and it is a guess, I'm gonna go for Roma. Is correct. Fabio Capello's Roma in two thousand and one. You're on the board. Question two. When Fabio Capello resigned as England manager in twenty twelve, who took over as caretaker for one game against the Netherlands? Ooh. 2012. That is a good question. Oh dear, oh dear. That is tough. Going to have to hurry you, Adrian. Don't think, yeah, I don't think. I know this. Very, very frustrating. Um, I've got nothing. No. Right. Did you know this, Benji? It was Stuart Pearce, maybe? It was Stuart Pearce, <sighs> maybe. Yeah. All right. No points for that. But, you know, mm. maybe a slight psychological advantage <laughs> as we ask, Adrian. Question three. For which Turkish Super League club does Mario Balotelli currently play? Oh, dear, oh, dear. Um, oh, these overseas questions kill, killing me. Um Does has he joined? 
Galatasaray Trabzonspor, Istanbul, back to here. Adrian? I'm going to go for Istanbul, back to here. Well, I'm afraid it's Adana Demispor. <laughs> way, Never going to get way that. over to the east on the border with Syria. <laughs> I believe, excitingly. Okay, question four. What is the name of the trophy awarded by France Football at the same time as the Ballon d'Or, which goes to the best goalkeeper of that year? (laughs) Well, it's it's some kind of golden glove, surely, but I don't know. (laughs) I suspect that's not the name of the trophy. with golden gloves? Yeah, um... Yeah, let's go with that. He's incorrect. It's the Yashin Trophy. Yeah, yeah. Named after, of course, Lev Yashin. may have known that. Mm. Question five, then, with a chance here to double your score. Who recently took charge of his first game as Shelbourne manager in the League of Ireland? (laughs) Ah, dear. Nothing on English football. This is apart from Stuart Pearce. This is harsh. Uh, <laughs> Shelbourne. Don't know. Don't follow Irish football. This one's this one's passed me by. Right. Um, Benji, so. do you know? Pass. Mm, Shelbourne. I'll have to. I'll take a punt. Um, Damien Duff. Oh my word! That's extraordinary. Once again, your intuition has proved correct. It is Damien Duff <laughs> giving you a score of two. <laughs> that is, out of five. I have to say, that is the flukiest guess in, in the history of the Intertotally. So, um, well, we'll yeah, see because Benji's about to come. So, uh, but two out of five, how do you feel about that scoreline? Uh, disappointed. Yeah, I got a three last year. Um, yeah, I've, I've, yeah I've, I feel that was, that was quite a tough set of questions, but, but yeah, disappointed. Mm. All right. Well, we'll see. Two out of five would have been enough to beat two of our contestants in the opening game so far. So, uh, Benji Lanyardo, if you're ready, uh, let's go with your first question. Question one. Who was the last club outside of Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid and Barcelona to win La Liga? I think it's probably Rafa's Valencia, but let me. There was a Deportivo that was a bit quite long ago. I'll say Valencia. Is correct. All right then. Question two: Between Kevin Keegan resigning and Sven Jurgen Eriksson taking over as England manager, two men had one-game caretaker spells. Who were they? <sighs> that was sort of the era of. Uh, Peter Taylor. I'll say Peter Taylor. That's one of them, Benji. I think I know it. Oh. Wilkinson. Is correct. <laughs> Is correct. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. That was, that was right out of the... Of pre-baby brain. I'm amazed that has remained in my head. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. so two for two, and here comes question three. For which Turkish Super League club, uh oh, does Ryan Barbel currently play? Um, feels quite Istanbul, Basak Shahiri. He feels like one of those. 
But, um, yeah, I'm just going to say that then. Basaksha here is incorrect. Yeah. Galatasaray is the current uh, home club of uh, Ryan Barbel, which means you're still level with Adrian Clark as we move to question four. What is the name of the award given to the man of the match in the League Cup final? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is it the Callum Manaman Remembrance uh, <laughs> Certificate? It's not, Benji, it's not, of course. It's the Alan Hardacre Trophy. That's Obviously. Who, who, was, who was Alan Hardacre? For a bonus. Point. Imagine he was man of the match in a, in a League Cup final once. Maybe the first one or something. That's extraordinary. Maybe. Okay, question five then. Which Scottish Premiership club was Sean Maloney recently appointed manager of? <sighs> Maloney, he was he was hanging out with Martinez in in, in Belgium, wasn't he? Um what, is there any Belgian connections in Scotland? I, I don't know the answer to this. Um, okay. But I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess Hibbs. So you're attempting a Adrian Clarkes last minute hail mary three pointer from the other end of the court by just shouting out Hibbs. Yeah. Benji, the answer is Hibernian. He's uh, done it. He's only lucky. pulled it out. I think. Fact. I think Maloney. Did Maloney play for them? That's the only reason that it might have connected in my head. Sorry, Adrian, that, that, was, that feels a bit <laughs> fluky. No, well, that, that was a tough set of questions, I have to say, for both of you. But uh, you know, three and two in the circumstances, very respectable uh, scores. However much guesswork was involved in, in the achieving of them. Uh, Adrian, you leave us then, uh, in quiz sense, uh, for another year. Uh, but uh, how do you feel? Yeah, I, 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 feel, I feel I feel a little bit deflated, but but right. it, it, yeah, but I can live with it. It's it's fine. I lost to the better man on the day. Wow, well, it was an extraordinary final answer that from Benji Lanyado, who, as his reward, will be meeting in the quarterfinals either Matt Davis Adams or Julian Laurence. Benji, who do you, who do you fancy? Um, well, I knocked out Julian last year, so I imagine he'll be chomping at the bit for revenge. I'll, I'll go for um. I'd, I'd like a, I'd like a bit of Matt action this time around, thanks. Oh, you're smash, right. Matt. It's an easy one, that. We'll see, <laughs> we'll see. We've got more action from the Intertotally coming up every Monday and Thursday, so we'll find out your opponents soon enough. But Benji, massive congratulations, particularly on that uh, Hail Mary effort on the, the final question, and we look forward to seeing you in the quarterfinals. See you, Jimbo. Thank you. Mazel tov, Benji. You're through to the next round of the Intertotally Cup. And if you concur with Benji's bet that Craig Dawson will score any time against Wolves, it's priced at 15-2 at paddypower.com or on the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. And please, gamble responsibly. Cracker, well, that was dramatic. And uh, well done to former finalist Benji Lanyardo. Uh, what, what did you think of that, Rory? Because when we, you are... We- which side? I don't know when I'm up actually. To be fair, which side of the draw is Benji on? Is he on? Is he on the side of the draw that I'll get knocked out by Lindsay? In? Uh, yeah. So you're up against Lindsay Hooper next, and you're on the other side of the draw to Benji okay. Lanyado. However, you're on the same side of the draw as one Michael Cox, and to be fair, Daniel Story. Mm. Yeah, and it, obviously, if I mean, I'm not going to go through because my record on the Inter totally is appalling. 
Oh yeah. It's um yeah oh yeah it's kind of um it's Leeds United in in cup competitions bad, so it's not really relevant. But obviously if if I do make it through somehow if Lindsay has to has to kind of if maybe there's some sort of scandal and she's thrown out for doping, then um then and I do go on to face Michael then and lose then obviously I will not be doing totally live in April. Well, oh, really? <laughs> not, 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 not is it is it you is it you first? It's me if, next, and yeah. then oh, I don't, I don't mind, Michael. I don't mind. So you could, you could be set on that panel, having knocked out me and Michael. I, I cannot stress enough that I will not get, get through against Lindsay. But if I lose to you, that's fine. I'm just not losing to Totsy. Mind I, games. I might, I might, I might throw it. <laughs> uh, right. Well, there you go. There you go. Uh, we've got more intertotally coming up on Monday, along with all the other stuff in the show. For now, though, it's many, many thanks to Carl. Duncan and Rory and you listener and producer Charlie uh, have a great weekend where possible and we'll be back with you after that ciao you've been listening to the Totally Football Show part of the Athletic Podcast Network listen ad free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.